I mean, if I look back over the 20 years I've been doing this now, um, you know, I don't think it's changed a lot. You know, most, m most organizations still look at what's good for them rather than taking that, to a certain extent, a leap of faith to go, actually, if we do what's good for the customer and what's good for us, then we will improve things. I mean, and the other thing that I find amazing is, you know, I don't think we've ever been involved in an, uh, an implementation that doesn't save money. You're listening to the B2B Growth Think Tank, the show that brings you the virtual hot seat where each week my expert guests and I help another business leader by masterminding actionable solutions to a specific challenge they're currently trying to solve in their business. So if you're looking for answers to a specific challenge that you're facing, that if you could solve in the next 90 days would have a huge impact on your growth, send it in to thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and we'll see if we can feature you on the show. My name is Adam King, your host and the captain of the ship of growth consultancy Think Like a Fish. And if you're ready to rethink what's possible for your business and discover the growth strategies, advice and insight to turn this new vision into a reality, let's get started. Hey, Adam here and thanks very much for tuning in. And as you are, I'm going to make the assumption that you are responsible for generating revenue for an established B2B professional service business and you're looking to grow your revenue. So what I've got for you, you're going to absolutely love because I've recently released my new revenue multiplier calculator and bonus training where using this tool and following the training, you'll discover how to uncover the hidden revenue opportunities in your business and be able to systemize your growth using seven revenue multipliers that can double your business in 12 months or less. So if you want to go and grab your copy, go to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash calculator. Now on to today's episode. Hello and welcome to the B2B Growth Think Tank. Now joining me today to talk business growth and to help out a fellow business leader on the virtual hot seat is one of the original pioneers of the concept of customer experience. And today, having written no less than seven books on the subject. Now, not only that, he has also been recognized by LinkedIn as one of the world's top 150 business influencers, where there is now where he's now one of just a small official LinkedIn influencers with over 289,444 followers. And I'm sure that is literally going up as I'm talking. Now, his management down. consultancy. Oh, going down. Who knows? Now, his management consultancy beyond philosophy LLC has been selected by the Financial Times as one of the best management consultancies for the last three years in a row. And on top of helping his clients grow by helping them focus on finding value and identifying hidden, unmet customer needs that are proven to drive revenue, he is also the co-host of a highly successful intuitive customer podcast, which is a fantastic show, by the way, and you should definitely go and have a listen. I'm sure we hear more about that as we go on. So look, as I completely admit, from a purely, purely selfish point of view, as I'm sure you're also about to hear, um, I think what you're going to hear is my guest today is taking my own worldview of thinking like the fish and not the fisherman to a whole new level. So I am seriously, seriously excited at the prospect of geeking out a little bit on exactly why customer experience is one of the highest leverage growth strategies out there and how you can apply it to your business and grow your business too. So I'm absolutely honoured to welcome Colin Shaw to the show. Colin, how are you doing? I'm absolutely wonderful, Adam. Thanks very much for having us on the show. And uh, I always look out, look forward to a geek out. So 
Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, I've got to be a little bit honest with you, Colin, in, 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 in the lead up to this and sort of doing my research and, and all the rest of it. I started getting a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious and all the rest of it, because not only have you obviously sort of achieved a lot and all the rest of it, but it's something that I, you know, since sort of discovering you and I've been to listen to a few of your podcasts, which um, are very good. And I think what I've come to is a sense of too much choice to where to go with this conversation. Right. And I know that that is a big thing around the customer experience and some of the stuff you do and all the rest of it. So it's almost like, where do I start? Sure. Because there is so many things that we could go on. But I think possibly the best place to go is, why don't you give us your own version of the sort of professional journey that you've got to get to this point where you've literally got that list of accolades behind you? Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll try not to turn your listeners off straight away by by talking for <laughs> the next ten minutes about it. Uh, but basically, the short version is: um, I spent most of my life in corporate life, and most of my life actually in the B two B area of corporate life. Um, and then I read a really good book called um, uh, "Who Moved My Cheese." I don't know if you've ever read that book. Um, and it, and it asked one question in the book, which I, I found fascinating, which was because I, I, I sort of achieved what I wanted to do in corporate life. And it asked one question in the book, which I thought was really good, which was, um, what would you do if you weren't scared? Uh, so this was back in 2002. Um, and I was effectively getting into customer experience at that point. I thought that it could be something that businesses needed to do and to focus on. I think there's always these waves of change that go across business, uh, whether it's CRM or data, you know, um, uh, digital transformation, you know, those types of big waves of change. So I decided to uh, leave uh, my secure job in corporate life and set up Beyond Philosophy. Uh, so that was back in 2002. Uh, started off, as everybody does, in their bedroom, thinking, what the hell have I done and how the hell am I going to get any uh, business in? Uh, and just basically built the company up from uh, there um, by really just trying to the, 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 the one of the phrases that we use or the, the company name is beyond philosophy. So what we're trying to indicate by that is to go, you need to have a philosophy or a thought or, a, you know, a strategy. But the key is you've got to go beyond it and do something. Um, so, you know, it's not just about intellectualization of a topic because that doesn't do anything you've actually got to go away and do something so uh, and that's what we've done we've we've effectively what we've done over the years has been constantly come up with new thinking and developed our thought process but also then sort of back that up with ways of actually doing things to to to, to get results and therefore in getting the results therefore more clients want to talk to you therefore you know the financial times when when they ask people who's one of the leading consultancies they say beyond philosophy because uh, we get res we get results so uh yeah and that is that is a key I, I guess that is one of the key things to consider when thinking customer experience because at the very end a customer is with you because they want some form of result yeah and that must form part of the the customer experience but i think the other thing i would add to that is the organization wants the result so the so one of the mistakes I think that organisations make at the moment, uh, or pro CX programs make at the moment, is they're not focused so much around 
getting the result. So increasing sales, increasing loyalty, increasing retention. Uh, you know, it's a bit more sort of nebulous. And therefore, you know, if I'm a CEO, I'm sitting there going, I'm investing in this program, whether it's people, resources, whatever. I want to see a return. Where, where, you know, where's the money back that I'm getting? And it's it's kind of always been that way, but maybe sort of pre-COVID that, you know, things were going in the way that they were. It wasn't so much a focus on that. And I, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I've certainly noticed that shift towards people being much, much more focused on what is the return? What is the result for investing in XYZ service, for buying product, for buying, you know, for hiring um, people, for all those sorts of things? And I think that that is actually a good thing. I think yep. that it really does. It, it means that we get much more focused on not just the deliverables that we do, the things that we provide, but it's what is that transformation? What yep. is the point A that your client, your ideal client yep. is in? And what is the point B? Yeah. And then you've exposed the gap and that is where your service or your product fits. So, And I think sorry, that's one of the things we don't always consider. I think that, yeah. Let me draw you an analogy that may, that will suit you. Um, I, we were speaking before the show about uh, the fact I go fishing. Okay. If I go fishing and I don't catch fish, I've not had a good day. I've had a quite a good day because I've been out on the water and blah, 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 blah. Okay. But, you know, if I've caught one fish, I'd rather catch 10. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the output. That's the measurement of, uh, of the output. And, and, and that's exactly what businesses should be looking at is I'm investing in improving the customer experience. How much more profit, uh, more customers are we gaining, et cetera. So, I mean, sort of let's let's play on this a little bit because I like the analogy and uh, clearly, but <laughs> if we're thinking result and if we're thinking from a customer experience point of view, if you were someone that was running fishing charters, for example, and you were saying to people, well, come on our fishing charter and what we will do, we'll take you out and we will treat you well and, you know, we provide the best service and blah, 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 and that's it. Or if you say to someone, if you come out with us we will guarantee that you will catch a sailfish or whatever it may well be. Something that they are, you know, somebody is absolutely doing. And you do whatever it takes, even if they have to come back the next day and the next day and the next day. Like, is that the kind of thing you're talking about with a with a kind of results focus there? Or is it something slightly different? So I, I, I think the issue is, um, the, and the, this is the first thing that we do virtually in every engagement that we are involved with, which is, you need to define what drives value for the organization. So for your fishing charter, they want to have their boat full of people that are paying a good price and blah, 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 blah. So the issue becomes, well, what's the key thing that drives value for, for us? Okay. Um, uh, uh, you know, and that could be customer loyalty coming back or the boat being full or whatever else. And then the issue is, well, what is it that we need to offer to the customer that would make them come back to us time after time after time? Yeah. Um, and what we discover, and this is where it starts getting a bit not complicated, but you know, um, fascinating, I, I think, is that what you discover is what customers tell you and what they do can be very different. So the second book I wrote was called Revolutionize Your Customer Experience. Uh, and um, it was all about customer centricity. So I always find it very odd, me saying the next thing, 
which is um, sometimes you shouldn't listen to your customers, okay? Because um, they don't they don't necessarily know or can articulate what is driving their behaviour. So let me give you an example. Um, Disney know when they ask their, their guests what they you know people are going to the park what they want to eat at a theme park. Disney know that people say they'd like to have an option of a salad. Disney also know that people don't eat salads when they go to theme parks. They eat hot dogs and hamburgers, okay? So consequently, there is a difference between going out and, in your analogy, asking that, you know, that group of fishermen, what is it you want? Well, I want to be able to catch a big fish and I want to do this and I want to do that. You know, um, and actually, what's the real motivator? Okay, the hidden motivator. And, and that's where it gets into understanding human behavior at a much deeper level. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to shut up in a minute. Uh, so when we look at a customer experience, we look at it from a rational perspective. What's the customer doing? We look at then, well, why are they doing that? Which is is typically around how they feel or want or want to feel, so about emotions. We look at the subconscious, so the hidden messages that organizations give you. So you go into a bank and they put pens on chains, which says we don't trust you. Um, and then we look at the the psychological aspects of things, which is, so why do human beings do what they do, okay? And that, that subconscious and psychological part uh, revealed the, the hidden motivations uh, behind things. I mean, just as another example, you know, we've, we've experienced around the world, people going, um, I'm not gonna vote for, you know, this person. And then, you know, Donald Trump, um, Boris, whoever it is, get into power, you know? Um, and, uh, and there's a difference between what people are saying and what people are, are doing. So you've really got to get under the skin of what does a customer really want? And it's not just good enough to, um, to ask you, you also have to see what they're doing and use some different form of research to, to identify it. I mean, there's so much in there that, that is, I mean, this is why I find this whole like what I do is sort of primarily marketing and all the rest of it, but it's the psychology behind it. It's the behavioral economics and it's understanding that really business is just about people. It's about people that work for you. It's about people you serve. And the fastest way to get a, a faster growing business is to really understand the behaviors of the people that both operate it and also that come into contact with it. Yeah. Now that whether that be through your marketing, through your fulfillment, your delivery, through how your you know your staff interact, all that kind of thing, and you know what I found what I found really interesting looking into what you guys do, and then listening to your your podcast, for example, is that you have a uh, a PhD professor as your co-host. Yes. Yeah. And what's fascinating when you listen to that is that you've got it's kind of like we were referring to at the beginning. It's kind of like you've got the um, you know the get it done stuff that you kind of have been focused on over the last few years. And then you have the thinking, the ideas, the academic side of things. It's kind of backing up the reasons to do something. And sometimes we need to know and understand why something is the way that it is before we're even prepared to take the action on it. Sure. So that's why I think that that podcast works really well. 
you've got both the academic and the um you know the the the, the intelligence behind it and the research and everything and then you come in with the practical experience of how to apply i think it's a fantastic dynamic and absolutely everyone that is listening go and check it out it's the uh, the uh, inquisitive yeah, no, podcast. It's, um, but, and that to be honest with you I'm glad you picked that up because that's exactly the approach we were taking. Ryan, Professor Ryan Hamilton, um, uh, comes at it from an academic perspective. I come at it from a, so it's that beyond philosophy bit, you know, of going, okay, well, here's something really intelligent that Ryan understands and has got the data for. And I go, well, okay, this is how you can then apply it. Yes. So tell me what that actually means. Yeah. <laughs> like that kind well, of thing. The question I'm always asking is, so what? you know is so what does that mean that you know that's a really interesting theory but so what does that mean that we we need to that we need to do the the other thing that's great about uh and i think really just sort of shows up on some of the things we're saying is that um ryan used to be a, a believe it or not a stand-up comedian uh so we we get on well uh, and that I think sort of comes out in in in, in the banter that we have, and it, you, and the reason I'm mentioning that is because it it you form a relationship with the audience, and people get to sort of know you under a, a more personal level rather than just talking about you know customer experience. Yeah, and I, and I'm assuming that the the conscious decision to go the route of first of all having a podcast in your business, but then thinking strategically about how you're going to have a podcast that's slightly different is related to the kind of customer experience that you want to deliver for the people that are potentially coming into contact with your business, but also your team, your staff, because as you say, there's a relationship that's happening between them. And I think this is one thing about podcasts that people don't necessarily pick up on. And that is if you're a larger company and you have a team and you have people in your company that are listening to say the CEO of the company, they get to hear a very different side of them they might not necessarily see all the time every day so i think it's a relationship building tool obviously for the external but also the internal and that also is a customer experience because your staff theoretically you could class them as a customer but i think that's the whole thing around when people think marketing they just think it's lead generation or it's advertising or something like that it's not it's the whole spectrum it's the before the during the after yeah and i think that the biggest opportunity to grow is generally within both the during and the after because it's that experience that gets people coming back from more that gets people talking about you that gets people becoming advocates that generates referrals that blah 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 blah, all that kind of thing and i i I sort of think that it's it's the thing that people miss sure yes yeah no so what is it why why do you think that is first of all like is there a reason why you think that people don't necessarily think about customer experience as a growth lever I think it, they feel it's just a bit nebulous. I, I, I think they feel that, that uh, and I've been sort of fighting this for 20 years, they, they, they feel it's a bit nebulous. They feel it, it, it is, you know, they're not, most organisations still are not outwardly looking. I mean, if I look back over the 20 years I've been doing this now, um, you know, I don't think it's changed a lot. You know, most, m- most organisations still look at what's good for them rather than taking that to a certain extent a leap of faith to go actually if we do what's good for the customer and what's good for us then we will improve things i mean and the other thing that i find amazing is you know i don't think we've ever been involved in an uh, an implementation that doesn't save money you know um because a bad experience ends up costing you money 
uh, either costing you money because the customer phones you back to to check on things and and then that causes a phone call into the call center and blah 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 um you know or a complaint or whatever it may be or cost you money because the customer leaves you and then you've got to do marketing and advertising to get a customer back um you know uh, and that all costs that all costs money um so i i think the interesting thing is it's not treated at the moment as a let me say a proper discipline uh so what i mean by that is which organization would say we don't need a marketing department we don't need a sales department we don't need you know a finance uh finance department you know um but not all organizations are saying yeah we need a a, a custom experience department and even if they have customer service which i think is different to customer experience then the customer service is still treated as a second class citizen uh and treated as more as a cost center than uh, the, the than than anything else so for me the biggest thing i've learned over the last 20 years is is this is about a mindset you know it's you, you've got to change the mindset of people in the organization to recognize the fact that understanding customer behavior understanding people behavior and therefore segmenting it into customer behavior uh, because actually guess what the same thing applies to employees so in the employee experience is the same thing um uh, you know understanding that pays pays off and pays dividends and can do massive growth i mean let me give you an, a one example one of our clients um Maersk line who are the largest container shipping company in the world improved their net promoter score by 40 points over 30 months and that led to a 10% rise in shipping volumes okay so you're talking about a lot of money yeah uh you know 10% rise in shipping volumes a lot of money uh and you know now if you, if you start to if you said to an organization would you like to do that and most organizations would go yeah that's great you know but when you then say well these are the things you've got to do to change either they ne don't necessarily necessarily understand or want to make that change which you know that could be that they're not serious enough about it and i'm glad you brought up net promoter score because it was going to be one of my sort of questions because if you have any sort of understanding around um sort of the customer experience and everything you have probably heard around net promoter score and and i think for for, for anyone thinking well what's one quick way of maybe utilizing this idea around customer experience i would have thought something like at least keeping track of your net promoter score is a good way of doing it and then and i i think that your net promoter score should be one of your three or four key kpis on your on the dashboard that you 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 run your business especially if you're at scale sure. because if you start to see that go down you will start to see other things happening and you've got to then ask yourself because the numbers only tell a certain story. It's like, what are the, what are the numbers telling you? Why is that promoter score dropping? Why is that promoter score low? It could be all number of things. It could be that your staff are unhappy. They're not following a process. Sure. They don't know what their process is. Sure. Um, it could be that there's a problem with the product. It sure. could be the problem with all sorts of different things. But unless you know that score sure. and you cannot see if it's going up or down, you cannot then go back in and start to actually unpack the reasons no. for it yeah and so everything else if you're just chucking things in at the top is you know is, is that the best use of your your, yeah. your budget no i mean net promoter is a is a is a good uh good thing to have but it's not 
the be all and end all to life, the universe and everything. Okay. You know, we, we have organizations contact us and say, we want to implement net promoter. Uh, and our reaction to that is, yeah, you know, net promoter is good and you should have a net promoter as, as, as one of the measures, but let me, let, let me ask you a couple of other questions. Okay. So this is how typically we would start off, you know, what drives value for the organization? Okay, so which part of the customer experience drives value for you? In other words, what is the organization, what part of that experience um, gets um, in the increase in net promoter or revenue, etc.? And then the next question for us is, well, what is the experience that you're trying to deliver to your customers? Okay, and, and you know, I would ask your listeners to think about that question for their organization. Because what we discover is that most organizations do not have a clear articulation of the experience they're trying to deliver. Okay. Uh, you know, marketing do what they think is the right thing, customer service do what they think is the right thing, sales do what they think is the right thing. So, so now let's assume that you've you know what drives value, you've defined what the experience is. Guess what? You should then be measuring that experience. And you should be measuring it along with the net promoter score, because the challenge is, is just having net promoter doesn't tell you what you need to fix. You know, it's going down. And from that list of things you just gave us, Adam, you know, yes, it could be any of them. Okay. But what is it, <laughs> you know, uh, and why, why is it it's going down? So you've got to, you've got to start to get into the detail of it. So for us, you drive what's driving value, what, what's the experience, and then you're into the, to the, some of the measurement of those things and net promoters included in that. And, and to understand what that journey looks like and what a customer wants, you, you actually have to talk to them. Like a lot of business, it, it just baffles me. And it's why you sort of, talk, you, when you mentioned that um, customer service is, is seen as a cost center, not a, you know, not, nothing else. And it's like, well, actually, if you think about it, they are your source of your best intelligence around the customers, potentially, sure. because they're talking to them all the time. Sure. They're hearing them either at their best or at their worst. Sure. So get some of the language. What is, what are people upset about? What are they complaining sure. about? What are they ecstatic about? Like all those sorts of things. And you can start to uh, sort of feed that back yeah. into an organization and adjust your messaging, adjust yeah. your marketing, adjust the product, adjust, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. There's so much opportunity to actually utilize it as a profit center because it's a source of innovation. Yeah. There's one way of doing yeah. it. Yeah. I, I think that, so I, I would absolutely agree that you've got to, you know, that those people in the front line have got to uh, do that. Um, and feed that back. But the issue for me becomes the interpretation of what that means. All right. Um, so now let's go back down into the, you know, those four bits, rational, emotional, subconscious, psychological. Um, so you can pick out how a customer is currently feeling by the words that they use. Okay. So looking at something like text analytics or sentiment analysis, you can start to understand how the customer is, is feeling. So if part of the experience that you're trying to deliver is you want your customers to feel cared for and your customer is currently feeling frustrated that you pick up, you've got to go down this sort of path path to, uh, to, to, to get there. 
Um, so I, I think the important thing is, is the interpretation of, of what the customer's saying. So again, I go back to it. It's the Disney thing. Let, let me give you another example. Um, we did some work in the States for a hospital system. Okay. And the perceived wisdom from the customer feedback was that um, patients wanted to spend more time with doctors. Fairly reasonable. You can imagine that for yourself. I want to spend more time with my doctor, you know, so they understand me. Yeah. Um, when we did, we did, we do a special form of research where we under un, un, look under the skin of the sort of that, that hidden motivation. What we discovered was that it wasn't that um, patients wanted to spend more time with the doctors. What we discovered was that patients wanted to feel that the doctor listened to them. Mm, well, okay. I can relate to that. <laughs> so absolutely. And I think everybody can, but so think of it on one side, you've got, I want to spend more time with the doctors. Okay. Let's increase the number of doctors we've got. Let's increase the appointment times that we've got. Let's, you know, change our systems to, to, to do that. That's one thing you could do that. And if the patient didn't feel you listened to them, you've doubled the amount of time with them. You've increased your cost base dramatically, but they're still not bloody listening to them. Okay. Mm. So that it doesn't solve. They're still pissed off. <laughs> Absolutely. It still doesn't solve the problem. Um, right. But if, but listening to them, you go, well, actually, so what needs to happen is, you know, why is there this perception that they weren't listening to them, which effectively fell into two areas. One area was that they'd implemented a new computer system. So the doctors were spending lots of time filling out information. Okay. Um, and that was taking their attention away. And the second thing was they weren't trained on how to listen to people. Okay, so, you know, train the doctor on what you need to do to listen to them, making eye contact, all those types of things. You know, spending, you know, remember you've got two ears and one mouth and you use them in that ratio. Um, so the, the, I guess, the, again, the, the point, and, and then, I'm sorry, I get carried away with this stuff. So let me then take a step back. Um, if you then go back to measurement, well, what are you measuring? Are you measuring the amount of time with the doctor? We've increased the amount of time with the doctor and we're at 98% of achieving that time with the doctor. Well, actually, you're measuring the wrong bloody thing. You should be measuring, does the patient feel that the doctor listened to them? So it, it's getting under the skin of that behavior, not just, just taking, uh, and this is getting back to the point, not just taking what the customer's saying, but looking at that and examining that and diving beneath it to go, okay, well, what are the hidden motivations here? What is happening from a psychological perspective that is forcing that behavior? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And and, and it kind of like the, the famous saying that, you know, Henry Ford said, if I asked people what they want, they would sit up fast a horse, that yeah. kind of thing. But it also reminds me of like one of my favorite books in the world is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. And um, Atticus Finch has a, a line in that book that says something along the lines is of, of you'll never know a man until you crawl into his skin and walk around in it for a day. Sure. And I think that when it comes to how we as business leaders sort of see our customers, we don't necessarily think about maybe we'll, maybe walking their shoes is a better way of saying it. But it's kind of like if you don't 
deeply, deeply sort of understand what an average day looks like, what, you know, what the, as you say, the rational, the emotional, the psychological, the rest of it, then you could end up solving the wrong problem. Yeah. And I think that is a critical thing that so many businesses get, get distracted by. They are, they are dealing with symptoms and not causes on so many different levels, sure. whether it's customer experience, whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, it's like, well, I'm not getting enough leads. So what do I need to do? Well, I'm just going to go and X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, maybe it's not because you need to do more campaigns or anything like that. Maybe your messaging is wrong. Maybe your target market is off. Maybe your your industry is shifted and the cycles that have, you know, that sort of dictated how things are bought and all the rest of it have shifted and you just haven't paid attention. There's so many reasons why it could happen that you're not, you know, going after a symptom is 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 going to just dig your hole deeper a lot yeah. of the time. So yeah, there's 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 an awful lot in here that yeah, I mean there's just so so much. But what I want to be able to do is just sort of flip a little bit. And um let's come on to uh let's let's come on to a question that I'd like to ask you around um around sort of growing your own business. And that is have you found that outside of the customer experience side of things what's one of the what would you say is like the, 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 the your favorite at the moment growth strategy or tactic that you're employing within your own business um to a certain extent i don't think it, it it's changed um so there's one thing that i i live by which is um oscar wilde okay um and oscar wilde said once said uh, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. Okay, um, and and the issue for me is that to grow your business. So in fact, let me take a step back because this again may help some of your listeners. Um, when I when I left corporate life and I'd spent two or three years on customer experience at that point, so this is back in two thousand year two thousand, which seems ages ago now, doesn't it? Um, but anyway. Um, the um what i realized was i knew a hell of a lot about customer experience okay but what i also realized was that nobody knew that i knew a lot <laughs> does that make sense so the issue was nobody knew that i was really good at, at customer experience which led you down the path of write a book okay now, I think that market has changed and everything else. But I, so I, I think that I wouldn't call it a hack because hack always means sort of shortcut. The um, getting out there and telling people what you do, but telling them in a way that is, um, and, and not telling them what you do, that's actually the wrong way of me describing this. It's giving them good content that, is different to everybody else okay it, so we may be about customer experience but when you look at the customer experiences you're no doubt aware there's 50 million people now doing customer experience okay but the bit that we focus on is the bit of customer experience that is about that emotional psychological subconscious aspect okay very few people are looking at that Okay. Now we didn't start off like that. It started off as customer experience. So the point I'm trying to make is you've got to differentiate yourself and you've got to be prepared to put your opinion out there that may be different to other, other people, but you've got to do that in a simple way. 
where you can tell <clears throat> simple stories and analogies like the Disney one, like the Doctor one. So everyone sits there and goes, oh, yeah, that, uh, that makes sense. Um, so you, you bringing it down to that sort of common level. And then, as we know, there's 50 million channels that you can get that stuff uh, that's yeah through. it's so, so i think what you're saying is it's kind of like again knowing your your ideal audience and then knowing the message that you want to sort of project to them what you want to be known for because you know that's what's important for them yeah. and saying it in a different way yes 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 you you got to be for me it's you got to be different to the herd yeah you, uh, uh, otherwise you're just uh, you're just an also ran uh and um you know that you've got to be saying something different and it's not saying it for something different sake but uh, again you know too many organizations just carry on doing what they've been doing for the last 20 years if so here's the interesting bit if i look to the book my first book building great customer experiences if i read that now although it was pretty advanced at the time i now go bloody hell everybody knows that now you know but it's 20 years old so but if you look at the subsequent books and the subsequent works that we've done you know there's a progression there in the understanding and the thinking basically mm. well yeah i mean it all sort of comes back to you know your your oscar Wilde quote and it's kind of like you know to use my analogy it's kind of like you've got to be prepared to swim against the tide yeah. and think and ask yourself the question what if everybody else is wrong sure and not that they're wrong because what they're doing is completely wrong. It's just like, well, maybe they haven't looked at it from this angle. Sure. Maybe they haven't considered this point of view. Sure. And actually being prepared to get criticism for it. Yeah. Because I think that's, I'm sure you've, you've handled a fair amount of criticism sure. because of taking that approach. And, and then it's about getting that message, that voice out into the market in front of as many potential people as you uh, as you can so yeah. yeah no that's fascinating i think it's um it's a foundational piece that i think more of us need to consider so um what i'd like to do now then is is sort of what move on to the virtual hot seat hey it's adam now just a quick one before we dive into today's virtual hot seat because as the core philosophy behind the show is a rising tide lifts all ships, I'd love to invite you to come and hang out with me, my guests and other business owners and directors of established businesses with a track record of providing good, solid service and a positive reputation in their market inside the B2B Growth Think Tank community, where we all connect, solve problems and help each other grow more profitable businesses. It's free to join, so come along, join us at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash think tank group. I look forward to welcoming you, but first, let's get to today's virtual hot seat. So this is the part of the show for anyone that hasn't listened before, where um, we have a listener question that has um, sent in um, a challenge that they're currently facing or uh, they have an opportunity in front of them they want to maximize. So today's virtual hot seat question that Colin and I will have a bit of a brainstorm around and try and help them help them out is I want our business to move from a service-based model to a consulting-based model. Now the work we've done previously has always been around bringing a solution to a business and implementing it for them and a big part of the value in offering my service is that these businesses they don't have the time or desire necessarily to do the work themselves but they need the result and I'm a little bit concerned or slightly worried that it may well upset some of the existing clients that we have and maybe some of our existing team isn't necessarily equipped with the right skill set to make this shift so do you think this is a good direction to go or 
Uh, and if you do, is this a? Uh, do you have any advice for making this kind of pivot? So, what's the first impression of hearing that? I mean, obviously, we don't have the ability to qualify, but when you hear that, because you run a consultancy, did you ever do done for you services for people, and then have to do the shift, or has it always been the consultancy model? Um, we've actually been the so we've always we've always. Um, been the consultancy so we do consultancy and training um 60 of our stuff is is consultancy work but i have to say the view that we've always taken and this is um this goes back to my experience in corporate life where i was employing consultants okay was uh, and again you're like this because of the analogy it's the it's the teaching the man to fish bit okay so when I was in corporate life, we used to have all of the big consultancies come in and uh, would come up with all these clever things and then would want to implement this, would, would like to do this to us, okay? And I didn't want them to do it to us. I wanted to learn how to do it, okay? So what we did was, uh, and the way that we work is and one of the differences, go back to what I said before about, you know, being different to other people. One of the things that we do is that when we go into a client, we we guide them. We don't implement it for them. Okay. And we bring their team members into our team. And part of our selling point is we will, we will work, they will work alongside us and they will gain skills transfer because they're working alongside us. So we can give them, say, like something like journey mapping. We will train them on our journey mapping that looks at those four areas, rational, emotional, subconscious, psychological. Um, and we will implement that. We will put them on a training course with us to start off with. But that group of people will work alongside us as we do the journey mapping. Why? Because there's lots of journeys. And, 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 you know, in my view, you shouldn't be trying to, you know, keep all of that, that intellectual property to yourself and go, no, if you do it again, you've got to use us and you've got to do it again, you use us. What I think that, uh, that organizations want to do um, is they want to bring that knowledge in, in house. Okay. Uh, and, and then the way that we, the way that we, uh, sort of monetize that for a future because you could argue you're cutting your nose off to spite your face by doing that is that we as our knowledge and everything improves then consequently we we change things so if i go back to this question you know one thing i've learned is there's definitions are always interesting you know so i don't really necessarily understand the the, the exact situation um but it depends it, it depends on the market and where you're looking to go to so if you think that there is more value to be gained from the organization by moving into this type of market where you're more consultancy and it means that you are going to upset some of your customers yeah that's life you know um uh, in fact we've just literally i was just approving a podcast that we did um a couple of weeks ago uh called uh, firing your customers so uh and i'm not going to go off at a tangent but it, it applies here is 
you know, just because you've got this group of customers now doesn't necessarily mean to say that that's you, you need to have them and they're going to be the one that sustains you in 10 years time. Yeah. Uh, so it could be that you have to move away from those customers. And that, that was going to be a point I wanted to sort of touch on as well is that it's it's almost sort of thinking like what has led because we obviously don't know but my my sort of mind goes towards what's led to this shift it could well be that they are having the only way they can grow is by hiring additional staff which you know impacts margin and, and all the rest of it and then you've got the overhead and you have to continue to bring people on and all that kind of thing so there's a bit of a fear element with rising overhead you're gonna to have to keep the pipeline full and keep clients in and, and all the rest of it so there's a bit of a fear element in there um but i think that really it's about sort of asking yourself okay well it's a little bit what, what you've been saying is like what's valuable to you as the company like what's valuable to you as the owner of the business like what do you enjoy doing and you know is the model that you want to shift to going to actually support the way that you want to spend your day for a start yeah um and also asking yourself the question of the kind of clients you work with are these the kind of clients i want to continue working with if they are not going to support my vision for my business and if not as you say sell a v yeah. it's it's the way it is it may well be that you have to shift your target market it may well be you know you're gonna to have to shift everything sure. because i've i've personally been through this transition you know i i sort of left corporate world and started my own thing was a bit of a consultant doing strategy work for people and then i became a kind of an agency where we did a lot of the stuff for people and then i realized i was just a project manager and i didn't want to do that i actually wanted to be working with people and i realized that i didn't want to be the single point of failure or have the, our businesses with the center point of failure because if something happened they have their uh, oxygen supply set you know cut off sure and I love the way that you said, you know, teach a man to fish, elite for a lifetime. That's one of the things that I now say because it's like I would rather empower people to be in control of their own growth destiny and their own whatever it is destiny than actually being reliant on somebody that could just turn around and say, I don't want to work with you anymore. Sure. See ya. Sure. I mean, that's it's, it's that sort of thing. So, so yeah, it, could I mean, be, it could be with this that, you know, it, it it's as simple as, the people that you're currently dealing with are the wrong people. The customers you're dealing with are the wrong people. You need to put your prices up. If if the customers that you are putting your prices up don't like it, well, maybe they're the wrong customers then. Uh, Absolutely, because there's another way to increase and grow and scale. It's it's by yeah. charging more, yeah. and then you free up resources. And if you're putting so, more resources in, then you know. And and this goes back to you know we all know that running your own business is tough. Okay, you got to make tough choices. And a tough choice could be, actually, I think this market over here is more lucrative and I need to move to this market, which means dropping out this group of, of customers and they may not like it and that you may lose some customers. But if you think this market is more lucrative, then go for it. I mean, I think it's a question that obviously we can't answer 100% without the context, but it does have to be a question you answer for yourself at the end of the day. Sure. I think they're at that sort of, you know, go, no go point and they're, you know, trying to work out whether or not this is the right thing. Ultimately, you're going to need to make that decision for yourself. But then I think practically what you need to do is consider what will the transition look like? Sure. Like how long do you anticipate that transition actually happening for? You know, you're not going to get it done in a week. I'll tell you that now. Sure. Here's the other question I would ask. It. Actually, it goes back to my uh, goes back to what, that book, "Who Moved My Cheese." 
what would you do if you weren't scared? So the danger is the danger is that mixed up in this decision is is bloody hell, what happens if I lose all this revenue and everything else, which clearly, you know, but you've got to try to take that emotion out of it and go, well, what would I do if I wasn't scared about this? Yeah, you know, what's the logical thing that steps that I would take? Love it. And and some of the other things you could maybe do is just start scaling back some of the actual done for you services and run workshops with your clients to show them how to do some of the bits. Yeah. Maybe that, it's to partner with an outsourcer or a, a VA company, for yeah. example, and refer your client to them where you would train the VAs in, in your process yeah. and do it that way. Like there's there's so many different ways of thinking about it that if you're worried about that side of things, well, well the other side of things is if that does become the case, before you make that decision, go and find other people that do something similar to you and say, I'm about to probably fire 80% of my clients. Sure. But the, if but I was to that pass reminds me, is, that, that makes me think, as you were reading the question, um, my immediate reaction was, why is it black and white? Why can't you do both for a period of time? Yeah. Yeah, um, it has to be a transition. Yeah. So, you know. It has to be. Yeah. Well, um, I hope that's helped. I think there's some 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 food for thought, but ultimately, I do think it's a decision that you're going to have to make on your own and you have to be prepared for there to be a transition. And you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Really, why am I doing this? And where is the value going to come from as a result of making the decision yes or no? And what would I do if it didn't scare me? I think that is a, a lovely one to sort of like end on there. So thank you very much for that one, Colin. I, I do think that there's a lot of things that um, that person can actually sort of implement and think about. So, um, yeah, we're sort of coming towards the end, but I want to sort of make sure that, um, honestly, I, I could, I, there's so many things I, I have in my head that I'd love to ask you and, and all the rest of it, but I couldn't, I couldn't do my listeners and my audience a service without asking you about the whole LinkedIn influencer side of things. And has that been something that you've consciously cultivated and, and, and what's your process been around that? And what has that done for you? Um, so the, the, the interesting bit, I guess, is that um, I was approached to be a, an influencer when the, the original influencer. So LinkedIn set up an influencer program. I must be doing this for seven or eight years now, I suppose. And the irony. By the way, sorry, Colin. Just in case anyone listening doesn't really understand what this influence is, the, this this group includes the likes of Richard Branson. Yeah. Um, um, you Obama know, Obama and uh, Obama, yeah, like literally. This is a big list. Yes, yeah, so. it is. And let me also say, I'm nowhere near as clever as they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the so the, the the irony was that when I got the email. I thought it was a spoof and, and nearly deleted it and didn't reply. So when they said, would you like to be an influencer? I went, I don't think this is real. So anyway, um, I replied and said yes. And the rest of his history, as they say. Um, uh, and the way that I've just used it is the way that I've just, we were talking about in the past, which is just, just trying to um, talk about, it's effectively based upon what we do on the, the the podcast, which is going, here's some theory. So what? What does it mean? What advantage does that give you? But putting it over in 
in in in that uh, in a simple and easy to understand way, in a practical way, and I think that's because they've clearly chopped and changed different influences over the period of time, um, but that's effectively um, what seems to be a pretty good formula. We they've also implemented this um, uh, um, subscri uh, email subscription newsletter service on LinkedIn. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, so I think um, so for the influencers that we, we have a we have a, um, a newsletter that's managed by LinkedIn. So it's a LinkedIn newsletter called Why Customers Buy, which is effectively. And so each week I write about, you know, again, theory and practical steps of uh, why customers buy. And we've got about I don't know, 30 odd thousand people signed up to to to, to that as well. Um, but I mean, it, it's been great and it's just given me another uh, outlet for doing things. If I'm totally honest, it hasn't necessarily changed a lot of what I was doing because I was doing that before, which is probably the reason why they asked me to be an influencer in the first place. Well, there it you becomes go. becomes a sort of a circular, circular yeah. thing. And there's a lesson in there. It's, you know, it's, it's consistency because I'm assuming you were doing that on a consistent basis and, you know, adding value and all the rest yes. of it. And, and I don't think it's about just the content as well because something that you've said and also this is a thing that i i do wax on a little bit it's like it's not just about content it's about context it's like here's the theory but so what what's the context where can it be applied how does it fit in the journey that you are on as a business and should you even be paying attention to it because you're not even you know you're, again you are looking at a symptom not a cause so sure. it, it's kind of like thinking around those let like those just just thinking about it in that way in in the if you're trying to generate attention or gain influence or all the rest of it, it it's like, don't be like everybody else, but sure. you've got to show actual context yeah. of the content that you're creating, not a listicle thing on you know, LinkedIn because you think it's going to get likes or whatever. The, the feedback that we get about the, I get about what we do on LinkedIn and what we do on the podcast uh, is, is quite simple, is we take a complicated subject and we make it simple and then we talk about how to apply for it how to apply to it and uh, you know what i learned very early on is it's very very easy to take a complicated subject and make you sound super intelligent but if you think about some of those more famous people you know obama etc they they've got a way of communicating with people of a complicated topic and putting it over in a in a in a simple to understand thing, I, and that's you know, I uh, I once employed a, a a guy who shall remain nameless, and very clever bloke, much cleverer than I I am, uh, and I always used to say to him, look, pretend we were down the pub, and you were you were talking to your mates, now tell me what you would tell your mates. You know, because I was trying to interpret what he was saying, uh, and 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 really sort of understand it, and and being able to then go, okay, so the implications of that are this, and therefore, you know, great idea. Now I've got to do it, and it's that connection I think that often gets missed. Either people are just into practical stuff that you know, not sort of strategically focused, uh, or they're into strategy thoughts that that they can't then articulate to people at the shop at the shop floor and i'm going to try and make myself sound intelligent right here because the reason there is a neurological reason why that is bad for business 
Right. It's because it burns more calories in your brain. Right. There you go. As soon as you add complication where people have to interpret what you're trying to say, sure. it burns calories. Sure. And therefore, they stop listening. Sure. Or they turn off. Sure. Like there is a, it's a neurological reason right. why you, you should absolutely make things clear as possible. And it's why I talk about fish when trying to explain marketing, yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's an easier way for people to understand and analogies and metaphors are another great way of doing it. So Colin, this has been fantastic. Thank you ever so much for joining me. Before I let you go, who is a perfect client for you guys? And if they are a perfect client, how can they contact you? Um, so most of our clients are, are uh, large corporates or medium-sized uh, organizations. Um, and, and typically they're in sort of the marketing, customer service, operations type field. And the best way of uh, contacting us is just through our website, which is www.beyondphilosophy.com. That's beyondphilosophy.com. Or just tap me up on um, uh, LinkedIn um, or, and uh, obviously the podcast, The Intuitive uh, Customer. It will be... Um... 100%. Go and listen to that podcast because I have binge listened to, I think, 10 episodes since uh, booking this one. It's fantastic. And, um, you know, the, the, the final thing I sort of really want to sort of ask you around is because the thing for this podcast, it's all about really collaboration, helping each other out, a rising tide lifts all ships, that kind of thing. Are you looking for support from anyone that could be in the audience are you looking at partnerships are you looking at ways of collaborating are you looking at opportunities to add your voice to other platforms that kind of thing and if so what sort of things and therefore can people again come and contact you in the same way yeah i mean um uh, you know never say never um so yes there is um I, i'm always willing to listen to new ideas and what, what um how people can help basically and probably the best thing again would be just to contact us through LinkedIn uh, and um, I'll take it on from there. Any final words of wisdom? Anything that you haven't been able to, to talk about? There's one thing which I think is that has fascinated me over the last 10 years um, and that we haven't talked about. So let me just tell you this one last thing. Uh, and that this is... When you think about it, custom experience is about a memory, okay? So if you think about customer loyalty, loyalty is an emotional attachment. And if you, you, you can't be loyal to something that uh, you don't remember, does that make sense? So by definition of the word loyalty, it means that you're, you're going back there because of the experience that you had last time. And because it's the experience you had last time, by definition, it, you remembered it, okay? Um, so one of the biggest thing I've learned over the last 10 years is there's a guy called Professor Daniel Kahneman uh, who talks about the fact that what people, there's a difference between um, uh, an experience um, and remembering that experience, okay? So he, he says that um, we don't choose between experiences, and this is humans, okay? This is not custom experiences. We don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of those experiences, okay? And that, for me, when you really think about that, that is profound. So let me repeat that. 
you don't choose between experiences, you choose between the memory of an experience. Um, so that for me means that you, for a customer experience, it's the memory that is more important than the experience itself. Does that make sense? Uh, and therefore, you have to get into how our memory is formed, okay? And what Kahneman talks about, again, um, is the fact that, in fact, you'll love this even more, actually. I just thought another loop. Sorry. Um, um, I've got time if you do. Right, okay. <laughs> Let me go through these two things because I do think these are fundamental. What Kahneman talks about is the fact that how people, what, sorry, let me start again. So how a memory is formed, Kahneman talks about the fact that memories are formed by what's called the peak end rule. So we remember the peak emotion that we felt and we remember the end emotion that we felt, okay? Uh, and if you think about those things, it raises interesting questions like, well, where's the peak emotion in the experience that you're trying to deliver? Which emotions drive most value for you? What's the end emotion that you're trying to evoke? Uh, and which which emotions drives most value for you and that peak end rule forms a memory so if you think of a memory of you know getting married having kids whatever it is something you know happy or even sad when you think of that memory there's virtually like a an email attachment of the emotion that you were feeling at that time right uh, so that's one part of memory the bit of memory that you really love is a fishing analogy Okay. Um, so the other part of a, of a, of a memory is that a, a memory is like um, a fishing net. So you can imagine a fishing net and imagine this fishing net that's below the, below the waterline. Okay. And imagine picking up one knot of this fishing net. And as you pick up this one knot of the fishing net, that knot is a memory. Okay. Now, the interesting bit for me is that that one knot is attached to other knots, which is attached to the whole of the net, okay? And that one knot is a memory of, you know, what, what you did last week, okay? Going to a restaurant, whatever it may be, you know, a, 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 an experience. And each of those other knots around it are influencing that one knot. Okay, and those other knots could be going to the to that restaurant before. It could be going to similar restaurants. It could be going around, you know, whatever. You get the idea. The idea is that all of those memories are connected. The bit that it's below the, the water is the, the difference between the subconscious and the conscious. So by picking that memory up, you're bringing it into your conscious mind. Okay, I hope I'm not getting too complicated here. And, no, and it's I'm, a bit I'm, like I'm an going. email. It's then a bit like hoping in a Word document. Because you've picked up that knot and brought it above the surface level of the water, it's like opening a Word document and making a change. And then you save it and it goes back down again. Okay. But, it, but the memory is different. Does that make sense? Because you've pulled that knot up and examined it and you've had recent other experiences that influences that memory and when it is then when it goes back down below the waterline and into your subconscious it's changed which is why 
when you think back to, I'm sure your family or friends will have you know, in jokes that, that, you know, of things that you did back when you were at school or wherever it may be or on a, on a holiday or whatever else. And everybody laughs and jokes about them and always raises them, etc. But actually, if you went back to that, what that actual act, it probably wasn't as big or as important as everybody now makes it out to be, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and that's because... Yeah, my, my, my wedding speech was hilarious. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because you keep bringing it up and it keeps growing, you know, or, or changing. The perception of it keeps keeps changing. You know, it could be that you're pulling it up, you're looking at the wedding speech and you're thinking about it, and then you've just seen a YouTube video of somebody giving a, a really good wedding speech and you go, actually, mine was really bad, wasn't it? Um, and and you, you get the idea. So... The point I'm trying to make is when you're thinking about an experience and we've spent all this podcast talking about an experience, you know what? We should have been talking about memory <laughs> because it's actually the memory that we, that you, we, that is the most important thing. Does that make sense? Well, maybe it's a great example of um, sort of having that key memory built into the end. Yes. Because if we'd have started talking about memory, maybe people wouldn't actually take away this as the key lesson, the key understanding. Sure. But now we've left this to the end. Totally, totally intentionally, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, maybe that will be something that people then take away with them and, and, and sort of think because, yeah, was it, is it the old stage show saying or whatever it is? It's like people will forget what you say, but they'll remember how they, you make them feel, that yes. kind of thing. And it's like what is it that people can take with them that will stick in a memory? And I don't know if you've um, heard or read the book called Talk Triggers by Jake Bear, no. by Jay Bear. It's kind of along that lines. Right. And, but, but it's more around, it, it, it's using a, something within the customer experience that causes people to talk about you. Right. And that kind of says to me, sure. it's a bit like a memory. Yes. Uses the example yes. of cookies in um, uh, Tiptree Hilton Hotel or something like that. Yeah. Um, people talk about the cookies. Yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's a memory. Yeah. It, it's, it's a memory. We have um, uh, one of the podcasts is on the massive importance of memory and a customer experience. So there's, um, um, it's, it, I have to say, it's my favorite subject um, to talk about because I think it just has so many implications uh, to, to things and the way that you, the way that you look at things, basically. So anyway, well, ultimately, from the you know from the pure psychology point of view, is it, uh, we're all made of memories yes. in this moment. From everything that's happened previously, all of our memories or our interpretation of our memories lead up to the person that we are right in this moment. Correct. So why would it not be possibly the most important thing to think about? Yes, and therefore, what your ex so the memories that you have influence the expectation that you have, and the memories that you have may not just be that are influencing your expectation and not necessarily just to deal with the organization that you're currently dealing with. Okay. So you may have memories. You, it could be a memory of something that was written in the newspaper last week or something that was on television or that your friends told you or that you dealt with a, a you know, a, a different client in a different situation, but you're now dealing with this organization uh, you know, so, you know, when you think about it, again, you, memories actually build the human being. 
okay because they form all they form your view of life because you are constantly referring back to um you know what well you know what's your thoughts on on i don't know the pandemic okay uh, and you now think immediately you think back to what the pandemic has been like for you you know um and those are obviously all memories so yeah it's absolutely fascinating. it's fascinating and and uh have you seen the movie Limitless? It's going to sound like a random yes. question. And you know where I'm going with that because there's that sort of theory in there that the human brain retains every speck of information sure. and this wonder drug um, unlocks all of those memories. Sure. So everything that you've literally seen in the street or read or anything like that, suddenly you know, this, this, this pill allows you to, to get that. And I was just thinking if you hadn't seen it, you should because you probably find it quite an interesting take yeah. on this whole sort of idea about memory. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and if, if people are listening, if you're still listening because we are geeking out, as we said, we probably would at the beginning. Um, check that out. It's a good, fun movie. Um, there we go. So, Colin, this has been absolutely fascinating. I could genuinely talk for hours. So I want everyone to get more of you. So the first thing I want them to do is go and listen to the Inquisitive uh, uh, customer podcast the, the link the intuitive will be customer podcast. the intuitive <laughs> it's been a long conversation sorry about that no <laughs> um i'll put the links in the show notes and Thanks. um um we'll definitely sort of get to and, and direct people there because yeah it's it's a really fun podcast just because of the the dynamics between you and a co-host and you know the different dynamic you bring and um yeah it's a fantastic show Good. and thank you all the other links to connect will be in the show notes so colin Thank you again. It's been so much fun and um, have an awesome day. Thanks a lot, Adam. Cheers. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you got some great ideas that you can take away and apply to your business to help you grow. If you did, please share it with somebody else that might also find this valuable because they will thank you for it. Also, to let you know that I have a podcast gift page where I put a lot of resources that I love to share with my listeners. You can find the links to join the Facebook community there and you can get my book, The Conversational Relationship Marketing and the audiobook version all for free, plus a number of other resources I'll be adding over time on that page. So make sure you head there to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift and you can help yourself to the things that make most sense to you and if you have enjoyed the show please make sure you're subscribed you'll get updated as the new episodes come out and finally last favor please consider giving the show your honest rating and review on apple podcasts i read every single one they mean the world for me i love hearing from my listeners and it does help others find the show as well so if you want to go and do that i'd really appreciate it but until next time have an awesome day and we'll speak soon